This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Three golds, six silvers and seven bronze. Team Singapore's Asian Games in Hongzhou comes to an end after 15 days of action. Our athletes experienced their fair share of euphoria and dejection in the Chinese city. Hi, I'm SD Sports reporter Deepan Raj Ganesan and this is Sports Talk. In this episode, my colleagues who have been reporting on the games from Hongzhou join me to talk about the highs, lows and what's next for some of our athletes and teams. Now, our athletes are not the only ones that have been hard at work in China for these Asian Games. David Lee, Kimberly Quack and ST's assistant sports editor, Rohit Brishnov, have been bringing us the latest action from Hongzhou. First of all, thank you for joining me on Sports Talk. You've spent more than two weeks there. Uh, I can't say I miss you guys, but how has the experience been? Rohit, maybe you can start off first. How does this compare to other major games that you've covered? Yeah, very good games. Uh, I think um, uh, well-organized. I think there was a few issues with officiating in some sports, which I think sort of weren't so good. I mean, I know I was there for the day of the javelin throw where the Indian champions javelin throw couldn't even be measured. And I think that was a problem. Uh, but that, I think, was one of the few small blips in what was, uh, I think, probably the best organized games that I have ever been to. All right, fantastic. David, uh, you've been to the Olympics. Uh, how does this compare the Asian Games uh, compared to other events that you've covered? Compared to the Olympics, uh, it wasn't really an experience back then because of COVID and we were restricted. Uh, but now the, the restrictions are off. So I'm going a bit cray-cray over the mala crayfish here. Food's good. I think I may have written my food postcard a bit too early because I don't think I did Chinese food any justice. The sports has been awesome too. It's busy, but uh, fortunate to be able to check out some sports I don't usually cover, like weightlifting, where I came face-to-face with the mysterious North Koreans, and eSports, which is a mysterious sport in itself, if you call it, call it that. All right, uh, Kim, what has been your highlight of these games so far, and how has your experience been? I think it's definitely like a different skill. There's so much happening. I think I was when I first arrived at the main media center, and I saw that it was like so crowded, it was full of journalists from around the region. I, I realized, you know, how how big these games actually were. And the level of competition also has been quite high for some of the sports. Like you see world champions here. So that's been a joy to watch. I think the highlight, this is going to be a lot of the Singaporean journalists highlight, but definitely seeing Shanti perform the way she did in Hangzhou was something very special. All right. Uh, Kimberly has told us about her highlight. What about you, Rohit? What was your highlight at these games? One was to do with Shanti, of course, was I'm just picking little small moments is that when she won the 200 and she got a flag from somebody in the crowd and there was a little moment, I mean, it must have been 10, 15 seconds, you know, where she just bent down on the track. And I think there is this very profound moment for athletes when they are actually almost overcome by what they have done that the reality of what they have done is sinking in, that, you know, that, yes, I am a champion. I did this. I won this race. So that that little moment for me, and, you know, I was, I was standing high in the sand. That was very, very profound. Uh, I found that moment. And the other moment was actually, there was an Indian squash player I know whose name is Saurav Ghoshal. And uh, I know him actually a little bit across the years. And he actually had won before this, three bronzes and one silver in the squash singles. He's 37 years old, and I, I presume this is his last uh, games. And then he lost again in the final and won another silver. 
but then he came to the mix zone and you know this is the character of athletes which i find extraordinary that he stood in the mix zone this like defeated really broken guy and just spoke so beautifully and eloquently about heartbreak and everything else no excuses nothing just speaking and i thought this is what i find remarkable about, about athletes that they are able to do this and it takes a lot of courage uh, to do it uh, and and i really admired him for that so those were my two moments fantastic uh, david you you talked about you know meeting the north koreans you talked about the food uh, i just wanted to find out you know were were these your stand up moments in terms of like a uh, non sporting action Yeah, non-sporting action-wise, I think I was surprised that they actually accepted cash here. I've been warned that they are very advanced over here, so I was a little bit apprehensive about cashless payment. Uh, but I don't know if there was a directive from above. But you know, anywhere that we went, we we could use cash here uh, pretty conveniently. What about uh, sporting action? Was there something that stood out for you more than the the rest? Yeah, I mean, um, similar to to Rohit, you know, there, there's two. One, of course, was it was surreal watching North Koreans break world records despite being isolated from the world, not being able to compete in international sports for the past four or five years. You know, most of us have stereotypes about North Koreans living in fear under a dictatorship, but you know, there were glimpses of humanity observed from their athletes and journalists, and and of course, the heartbreak. Came from the pool, you know. So many fourth place finishes, missing medals by zero point zero two seconds, and uh, especially the four by one hundred women's medley relay, you know, that mishap in the changeover. Uh, you you see how milliseconds can can make or break athletes' campaigns, and for that to happen to your own countrymen was was you know a heartbreaking moment for me. All right, thank you guys for sharing your experiences. Uh, moving on to a bit of uh, serious analysis here. Is that uh, speaking at the press conference on Team Singapore's performance at the games? Uh, Singapore Sport Institute Chief uh, Su Chunwei said this: uh, "This, in my view, is a successful Asian Games for Team Singapore, and we have continued to set new highs." Rohit, I'll, I'll come to you first and foremost. Uh, what what do you make of his comments, and and do you agree? Has this has this been a successful Asian Games for Team Singapore? Look, I mean, you know, I think successful has many measures. So I think you know, a lot of spec scholars did well. A lot of people did well in Olympic sports. That's what they said, and I think they have a point there. I'm a very athlete centric writer. I have a great love for athletes, but I do feel that they should be the selection. If if people we pass the selection criteria, then that's fine. Then you have to think about whether the selection criteria should be tighter. So there were some other things that you know the games got you know delayed by a year. So the selection criteria was based on the year before, I think two two thousand twenty one, and so there were those factors, etc. But the fact is, the world is getting better. And when I say the world, I mean in this context, Asia is getting better. So then we have to get better, right? I think that the contingent, in my opinion, was a little inflated, might have been a little tighter. So we're going to have to see what they do with this information and what happens at the next games. I think I'm going to just talk like athletes talk, which is just focus on the positives. And uh, so really happy with the sailing. I thought that was amazing. Really happy happy with Stephanie Chen's uh, silver in the kayaking because I know how hard she's worked and for how long. Really, uh, as David mentioned, heartbroken for the swimmers who came fourth and were very close to medals all the time, but they were very competitive. I think that's the key. I think what you want to be is, you know, everybody is going to win a medal. I get that, and that as something that people should understand. Not everybody is going to win a medal, right? Most athletes at the games don't win a medal, 
but you want to feel that they are reasonably competitive in most things. So successful? Hmm. I don't. I don't know. I would say I don't know. All right, uh, David. Uh, Rohit has has said his uh, or given his take uh, about SSI Chief Su Chunwei's comments. Uh, I just want to ask you. You know, if we deem this particular performance as a successful one, what would an unsuccessful performance look like? And and did you agree with uh, what Dr. Su had to say? Probably an unsuccessful campaign would look like no medals, I guess. But you know, agreeing with what Dr. Su said. To a certain extent, I, I think the measure of success might have been the medals in certain Olympic sports where we achieved breakthrough, such as Shanti's uh, 200 meter goal and Max kite foiling goal and Ryan's uh, Olympic qualification. And there were some national records as well. So in that sense, there was a success, but I don't think that should be extended to the whole contingent. There were a number of breakthrough performances also from Wushu, Chess, Bridge, but you know, overall, if you're talking about 400 over athletes, I wouldn't say it's that successful, to be honest. Of course, the mitigating factors, and they did mention that while we have improved, other countries have improved at even a faster rate. Uh, it's not to say we haven't improved. I, I think if they were going by that barometer, if we have improved, then yes, we have succeeded in improving. So I think the Singaporean way of communication, you know, we like to maybe put a positive spin on things. I don't blame them. And I'm sure that, you know, when they go back home, they'll do a in-depth analysis and review of all the performances. I think it's important to note that at a major games like this, it's make or break in a moment. Nobody comes here uh, wanting to lose. A player like Lo Kian Yu, who's ranked in the top 10, can have a tough draw, an unlucky draw, and meet a good player like Ng Ziyong, who has beaten Victor Axelsen this year and then go out in the round of 32. Does that mean that, you know, he, he has underperformed or or, or, or he's, he's not a top 10 player? Probably not. But, you know, you have you have good draws, you have bad draws. So I, I think, yeah, it's, it's semantics, you know. It's a matter of how you interpret it. I personally wouldn't call it, you know, entirely successful. But, you know, we can see um, success in, in a few events and areas. Okay, I, I want to just button in one area before you speak to Kim about this. So he mentioned about draws or whatever. So he's not wrong, but I disagree with this thing. That so even they mentioned draws that you know. Uh, I think Christian mentioned draws that you know. You know, I think in the fencing we face a tough opponent rather than you know facing Nepal or something like that. But you can't go to a games thinking about draws. You got to be so good that the draw doesn't matter. That's the whole idea. The whole idea is you are the person. Other people don't want to play in the draw. So I mean. Draw is just this part and the part and parcel of sport. You, you you just got to take where you, you the draw can never be a reason in my opinion. All right, fair, fair arguments from from both of you. Uh, Kim, just want to bring you in on this conversation. Uh, when, when I talk about an Asian Games or an Olympics or a Sea Games, uh, I, I think it's important to have a press conference, you know, to address the the, the performance of the athletes. Uh, my question to you is for aspiring athletes who perhaps read the news or or hear the comments from Dr. Su directly. Do you foresee that calling this a successful Asian Games uh, might make aspiring athletes think that this is uh, the kind of uh, performance that we should ad ad uh, adhere to? Because, of, of course, I think Shanti, Maximilian, Ryan, I think these were all one-offs in the, in the scale of 400 athletes. Uh, but what kind of message do you think it sends to aspiring athletes to call this a successful Asian Games? 
Yeah, so I think not not to take away from from the achievements of you know Shanti, Max, and Ryan, and and some of the other athletes who have had breakthroughs. Um, but you know I think we need to have some honesty from the officials, and you know for them to be upfront that maybe this is you know we're not up to standard, and we still have some way to go. They did say that you know when they when they pick athletes for the Asian Games, it's not just for participation. You know they want to be competitive, but to call it a success when you're saying these things also kind of contradicts the message. So I think it's it's important for them to kind of acknowledge that we're not quite there yet, and you know there's some way to go, and maybe also just in instead of sugarcoating it, um, that's a fair word. Yeah, just show show that there are steps in plan to bridge that gap between us and and the other countries in the region. I think that's perfectly put by Kim, but I think athletes know. I mean, athletes, you know, I mean, I think officials have to do their job. Sometimes they have to say these things, but athletes know, I mean, you know, they know, they know what's a good performance and what's a bad performance from them. They know, they, they know where they stand. They, and they understand defeat, victory, standards, everything. They know, they know. I think also people confuse like what they say for, for support. Like it doesn't mean that, or you call it as it is, you're not supporting them. Yeah. I think people need to understand that if, if you are honest about your assessment, you can still support them in a variety of ways. And, and the, the, sure. that in itself is also support because you want them to get better and you got to back that up with the actions uh, after to help them get better. Perfect. Uh, well summed up by David there. Now let's move on to the individual performances that you know uh, I had talked about at the top of the show. Uh, first and foremost, Shanti Pereira, who of course became Singapore's first athletics champion at the Asian Games in 49 years. Uh, Kimberly, first and foremost, I, I, I want to just say this. It was a fantastic story that you wrote uh, about her win. Uh, I really enjoyed reading that one. It's, it's one that sticks out for me. Uh, what did that gold medal moment uh, mean to you? You know, you spoke to her after the race. Uh, I was told that the, the, it was very emotional. Uh, did it feel like that for you? Yeah, definitely. I think you could see from her reaction how much it meant to her. Like, um, and, and also when she was talking to us, she was very emotional and, you know, I, I think watching the race was also pr a pretty surreal moment. I would say it was insane. Couldn't help but cheer. And I, I think, you know, Shanti has performed so well this year, but we have to remember that it was a, a journey for her to get to where she is right now. You know, she, she faced a lot of pressure when she was as a younger athlete and she had overcome that, overcome challenges with injuries, with, a, you know, a drop in form. She was dropped from the spec scholarship and, you know, she plowed through all these challenges to get to where she is today. And, and that, that I think, was what made it so special to see her achieve what she did at the Asian Games. Rohit, you, you've written and reported on uh, Joseph's uh, Olympic triumph. I know it's a bit unfair to compare that to this one, but were there similarities in, in the sense of what it meant for Singapore sports? Well, similarities, but both made me cry. So I think that that's basically similarity. But yeah, I would say that they are definitely the two greatest moments that I have ever seen of, of Singapore. I think both, of, both athletes are very brave. I think in different ways, Joseph going out uh, to America and taking risks, Shanti being brave in going through, as Kim said, you know, all the adversity she suffered and the comments she heard and, you know, the stagnation of her times. But, you know, Somehow just soldiering on, you know, not letting her, you know, your spirit can get beaten and bruised, but sometimes your spirit dies, but hers never did. And I really 
appreciate that. And I don't think anybody except her coach and her parents and possibly a boyfriend can understand how hard this journey was. You know, we talk about it, but we have no understanding because it took so long. I mean, we're talking about, you know, years, six, seven years, you know, and, and that's a really long time. And, and I thought also that in sport, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but what you might have done for the rest of the year, but you've got to do it at that one particular moment that, you know, you have to bring your form and your courage and your technique to that one moment. And I think her ability to translate the whole year into that moment was extraordinary. All right, back to you, Kim. Uh, what does this result uh, mean for her going forward? I mean, predictable, but, you know, on social media, the, the next thing that people were talking about were, of course, the Olympics. What is a fair estimate for what she can do at the Olympics? And, and basically, what's next for Shanti Pereira? I think she spoke to Rohit about this. Uh, she, she did share her goals, which, you know, earlier this year, she or just, just a few months ago, actually, she... She was at the World Championships and she made it to the semi-finals. And that was also where she qualified directly for the Olympics. So, you know, semi-final at the Olympics is also something that she's targeting. But I think she hopes to finish yeah. better at, at the Olympics. And then also another key thing for her is bringing down her times, right? Sure. Yeah, so maybe Rohit can talk about that. No, just, I mean, she said, I mean, it's a, this, is, this is a dream. This is not a... We shouldn't imprison her with this time. That, like, obviously she's at eleven point two in in the hundred. So she's, you know, she dreams of under eleven. But you know, as she said herself, it's a very, very, very big stretch because the faster you become, the harder it is to lower your time. So going from eleven point two to say ten point nine nine is huge. I mean, it's incredibly difficult. And the same with the two hundred meter timing. But the thing is that. What was nice was that when she was sitting there with uh, Lewis, that they're already ready in the sense that they're going to take their breaks or whatever. But, you know, this is not some full stop. This is just a comma. You know, they're, they're going on. now. There are new challenges. And I think, obviously, she's incredibly invigorated by what happened to her this year. So I think that, you know, that's it. That, so, I mean, of course, we our expectation, you know, she, she broke a national record, I think, six times this year, sort of five, six times this year. That's not going to happen every year, right? But the fact that she's still running and still going and still ambitious, that's a, a lovely thing for all of us. You know, forget about anything else. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. And now back to my conversation with David, Kimberly, and Rohit. All right, moving on from Shanti now to Max Mader. Uh, Kimberly, you, you have been our gold medal winning reporter uh, in the sense that you have covered uh, all the gold medal victories for Singapore. Uh, Max has emerged as a possible new hero for Singapore's sport. Could you just describe how dominant he was? Yeah, so I think it was clear to see um, how much stronger Max was than his field. He led throughout the, the competition up till the, the, the day of the medal series, which did not take place because of weather conditions. Uh, he was, you know, he placed first in all his races. Uh, you know, in, in, in sailing, you can discard some races and he discarded a few first place finishes. So I think that just tells you how strong he is. And I mean, just have to mention Ryan as well. You know, he got the gold medal in the Ilka 7. You know, he, he finished ahead of the three-time uh, gold medalist from South Korea. So I think that was quite a feat. Okay. Uh, we, we all know in Singapore, you know, we are quite familiar with Popeye, the sailor man. Uh, but can Maximilian, you know, be the new hero 
uh, and take sailing forward in terms of not just in this country, uh, but as a sport to take seriously here in Singapore? Can we start dreaming, you know, is the Olympic gold medal within his reach? You know, he has definitely shown that he is of that caliber. In, in August, he became the world champion for the Formula Kite. So definitely, I think an Olympic gold is a realistic target, but he's also always very careful to cautious to make any, um, you know, such declarations because it's obviously something that he's working towards, but I think in sailing, you also, he, he's always, he always says that there are a lot of factors that come into play, right? And, and not everything is within your own control. So he, it is something that he is trying to work towards. And I think we have a good chance of maybe seeing him being the next Olympic champion. Fingers crossed on that one. Uh, David, to bring you into the conversation now, we've got to talk about the action in the pool. Uh, Tiong was the only medalist for us uh, from swimming. Firstly, after a rough period, uh, he has come through with a medal to remember. How well has he done? Yeah, it's never easy coming back from an injury. You know, I, I broke my wrist recently. I was depressed as a regular joke. Can you imagine a top swimmer having to come back from a torn elbow ligament? So I think he's done fantastic to, to come out of his funk. Uh, and he was close to a gold medal as well. So, so definitely very well done from, from Tiong. And also, Singapore suffered heartbreak uh, in the women's uh, 4x100 medley relay. Um, they were disqualified, you know, after initially finishing in a medal position. Uh, how did that feel like? Because we were watching on from the newsroom and we were all shocked by what we were watching on TV. You know, how, how did it feel like for you? Oh, yeah, yeah it, it was painful, you know. So to see the swimmers' happiness turn to horror well, was just painful, you know, as we know how much hard work uh, they, they put in to try to win a medal for Singapore. The mood among the team was was dark, understandably so. Letitia, still, you know, just 20, she was brave to speak to the media about her own disappointments, uh, missing out on a 200 meters breaststroke medal by 0.02 seconds, and then the relay DQ. A Tingwen herself, understandably, again, needed time to compose herself. We texted and she was so sorry and sorrowful. Even national coach Gary Tan was, was tearing up as he spoke about that, that, the heart-wrenching moments. So these are not what you expect or want to witness, but, you know, this is also sport. So overall, how would you rate Singapore's performance in the pool? I think medal-wise, it's definitely a dip. Uh, you know, no one made an Olympic A cut. But we have to remember Singapore were without Joseph Schooling, who, who delivered the, the two goals in 2018 and, and came very close in at least uh, three events to win medals. There were more finalists than in 2018, almost the same number of uh, national records and personal best. And to come close to winning more medals, uh, competing against the likes of China, South Korea and Japan, is nothing to be scoffed at. It's not an outstanding campaign to be sure, uh, but also definitely not a disaster. All right. And the, the last athlete that I wanted to talk about in, in particular was, of course, uh, our shuttler, uh, Lo Kin Yu. He, he fell at the first hurdle here uh, in, in, at the Asian Games. Did that surprise you? I know you, you mentioned uh, a bit earlier about the tough draw and I accept that. Uh, but did you, did you still feel surprised by his early exit? Uh, not really. I, I mean, this more out of respect for Ng Ziyong, uh, the Malaysian who won, rather than disrespect for Kian Yu. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, to put things in perspective, this is a player who beat uh, world number one Big Tech Susan in the All England Open this year. 
yeah, I mean, Rohit and I have, have differing views, but it was a tough draw and people need to understand how competitive the, the badminton men's singles is in this generation. Uh, you and Rohit have both worked on uh, local news stories uh, in the past year. Of course, that interactive about his smash comes to mind almost immediately. Uh, a question for both of you is this. Uh, in a year, in the last year at least, we've seen several disappointments from, from Loken Yu. Uh, I mean, and, and one thing I admire about Loken Yu is that when, when, he, when he errs, he comes out to talk about uh, the fact that, you know, he isn't performing and he hasn't done well. He accepts it. Uh, he's honest with it. Uh, I just want to ask you, Rohit, firstly, uh, is there a necessity for a change? You know, do you think that he's not performing and therefore, the SBA needs to help him out with perhaps a coaching change or, or something else. Because this is what the, the online world has been talking about in the wake of his early exit. Yeah, a couple of things. One is, I, I do agree with David that badminton is incredibly competitive, especially in the Asian center. That's number one. Number two, Loken Yu is, in my opinion, the nicest athlete that I have ever met in Singapore. And he's an incredibly honest guy. You know, never shies away from anything. And I really, really appreciate that about him. So I feel that when he won the world championships, incredibly enough, sometimes you can win but not be ready. What I mean by that is you are not the player, not ready as a player to win consistently week after week, right? But you have your best week during a world championship. And that's possible. Is that like golfers who, who don't dominate can have their best week during a major and they can win a major. But then, of course, your expectation is that everybody expects you to win every week because you're a world champion. That's not going to happen. So I think he faces pressure and I think he started building his, his game and make himself ready to be that level of player. He's obviously not that level of player yet. And I, and I think it's a fair question to ask because it's been now, what, almost, David, what, two years since, since, since his world championship uh, win? And then, obviously, maybe... The guys who are coaching him, they are terrific guys, right? And uh, it's not ever a reflection on them. But sometimes a player can maybe, maybe need a change. There's different needs, different, different voice. That sometimes the coaches can take a player to a certain point. Then you need a different environment, uh, different practice partners, different voices in your head trying to lift you to a, a different level. And I think... It's a fair question to ask. I mean, we don't know the truth of this matter. He will say it himself. It's very difficult sometimes for a player to say that because he feels in a way that he is beholden. That, you know, I owe these guys so much. I can't say that I need somebody else, right? But if you want to be great, sometimes you have to make hard decisions. So I think this is a very tricky thing because we don't know for sure. I mean, sometimes people might be just blaming the coaches when it may have nothing to do with the coaches. Maybe it is only Loken. We don't know. I mean, I think athletes, one thing we have to learn is just remember that Shanti took a really, really long time to find herself. So I think to be fair to Loken, we've got to give him also time for him to find himself. You know, that, you know, we, we shouldn't discard or criticize um, either the player or the system. I think you have to be patient because sometimes becoming great in sport is a very patient business. David, what about you? Do you agree with uh, Rohit's assessment? No, I think, first of all, people got to understand uh, the nature of the sport. Uh, and, and first of all, also, essentially what we have now uh, are talented players who have overcome limitations in, in our sporting culture and our system to make things align. Uh, for, for a few weeks to achieve what they have, uh, you know, against opponents 
who have had a lot more foundation and training under their belt. I think we have been spoiled by the sprinkling of successes. Uh, can you and also Terry and Jessica have had in recent years that we forget they were relative nobodies, you know, just two years ago. Yeah, I, I think we need to understand the, the nature of the sport. It's, it's so tough. Uh, and like Rohit mentioned, you know, the, the comparison with golf, then I, I don't think it's a, it's a total fight off for, for Kenyu's season. He's, he's still making finals. He, he was an Asian championship uh, finalist and, and, and a finalist at the Korea Open. So it's easy to say change the coach um, when things are not going well. But, but two things. You know, first, are things really not going well or are the expectations over the top? And, and, and second, you know, when you talk about changing coaches, how many coaches have produced a, a world champion? The story I, I wrote uh, with uh, the technical director, Martin Andrews, feedback about, you know, we, we don't always need foreign coaches. Local coaches can, can, can do just as well. And, and Calvin has proven himself. I've seen the badminton players, you know, share that comment uh, on their social media. So it shows that, you know, Calvin has the backing of the players. Can you tell me they've achieved success by, by trusting in Calvin Ho? And from what I know, they still do and respond to his coaching. So with this context, I, I feel that if we just change a good local coach whenever we meet a speed bump, we will not go anywhere in terms of producing good athletes and coaches. All right. Uh, we're down to my last question uh, of this conversation. Uh, not to put you guys on the spot here, but uh, you spend more than two weeks now uh, in China uh, covering these Asian games. Um, my last question to you is this. What has been one learning lesson from, for you from these Asian games? Uh, Rohit, I'll start with you first. Well, one learning lesson for me, I mean, basically the thing that I, I that struck me most deeply, I mean, is something that I wrote about, which, you know, when Shanti won is that, you know, it made me think a lot about how we should treat winning in Singapore. That we shouldn't be hesitant about it. We shouldn't tiptoe around it. I mean, I thought a lot about this, that, you know, I'm a great believer in all types of athletes, you know, whether they come first, 10, 12, you know, I, I think they all try. But we shouldn't, the idea is to win, right? I mean, the idea is to compete hard. But the idea is to compete hard and then hopefully to win. And I think sometimes we always say, try your best. And yeah, sure, try your best is good, but I also think there's a value to being the best. So I think those things, you know, I think Shanti showed us that, you know, we can win. And I, I, I think that we need proof. And I think whether it's the sailors and Shanti for me, particularly because I saw more of her rather than the sailors who were equally fantastic. But, you know, to do this in athletics where you, I don't think anybody ever thought that Singapore was going to produce an Asian 200 meter champion. But we did, no. So that, that, that means we can do it. It's possible. It's in reach. And we should think big. I think it is a very important thing for me. And that was my great learning myself that, you know, we maybe need to just tweak our mindset a little bit. What about you, David? What was your learning lesson from these games? Uh, I think this is more of a personal note, uh, which is probably to be, to be open. You know, there, there were some days uh, when... Uh, the local athletes were probably playing in the preliminary rounds or, or there wasn't much local offering for my beats and myself. So I, I got assigned to other sports like weightlifting, esports, you know, stuff that I, I never thought I would cover and I don't know much about uh, and I thought would probably be boring, right? Like, you know, what's so interesting about watching people click on mouses and just uh, lifting weights. Yeah, but when 
push came to shove and, you know, we have to squeeze the story out. You do research and the, the more research you do, you know, the more interesting things that you find out about athlete uh, backgrounds and stories. So there was this uh, weightlifting story I did about the Chinese champion who came from a very underprivileged background. So it's interesting to, to follow his journey even for, for that few minutes of research and then to see him out there actually producing a games record and, and completing a career Grand Slam, World Championship, Olympic gold medal, and, and now the Asian Games champion. Yeah, it, it's, it's something and, you know, it just shows that, you know, don't, don't write people off, don't write any sport off, just go into things uh, with an open mindset and you, you, you don't know what you might discover. All right, Kim, what about you? What was your learning lesson from these games? Yeah, I think for me, it's like being exposed to different athletes from different countries and also just, um, so for example, there was an Afghan runner who participated in the games and, you know, for her to just make it here was already a win because I think when you grow up in Singapore, everything, you kind of take everything for granted, like access to basic stuff like education, working opportunities and even playing sports. But for her, you know, she she had she couldn't return home after the Tokyo Olympics and she's had to watch the situation at home with the Taliban in power. So it's it's not been an easy journey for her. And I think it's just a reminder the adversities that people have to overcome just to be at the game sometimes just kind of made me reflect a bit on that. I think the people here in Hangzhou have been so terrific. You know, I mean, they have been just the kindest hosts that I can almost remember really, really being uh, a tremendous source. And I think it's something that's worth saying. Right, guys? Yeah. They've, yeah. they've, they've, yeah. Been, they've okay. been amazing. Yeah. Uh, Rohit's considering moving over here. Yes, sir. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, but just to recap the, the, the learning points, which I thought uh, all three of you spoke very well of, which is winning is possible and the mindset change is important. Keep an open mind and appreciate what you have. Uh, it's been an insightful and informative discussion with you guys. I hope the listeners will agree with me. Have a safe flight back and see you in the newsroom soon. Thank you. Thank you. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.